Welcome to Frantically Speaking's podcast, Beyond Hard Skills. I'm your host, Radeep, and here's where we discuss what it takes to make it in your career beyond degrees, technical skills, and hard work. Let's get started. On today's episode, we're joined by Kelly. Kelly is not just a speaker, trainer, or advocate. She's a catalyst for change on a mission to open hearts and change minds. She's the CEO of HR Legally Speaking and Speaker Moguls. And after spending about two decades in the legal field, she's now dedicated her life to fostering respect, equity, and accountability. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing how to create safe working cultures to develop and accelerate your career growth. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond Hard Skills. How's it going today? Oh, it's awesome. Happy New Year and glad to be here. <laughs> Fantastic. Glad to have you here. I would love to start this particular episode by understanding. I have a bit of a sense of your background, but I would love for the audience to know how do you get to the position that you're in? How are you so passionate about work cultures as a whole? Tell us a little bit about your story and your work. Oh, absolutely. Say, hey, everybody. I am Kelly Charles Collins. I'm a retired employment law trial attorney. So for over two decades, I represented um, organizations, so small companies to multi-billion dollar global organizations um, in, in, in types of cases that you hear about discrimination, harassment, retaliation. Um, so I really worked with organizations to do that. And I was their defense attorney. So in that space, I really got to understand things that were happening in workplace cultures, things that were causing problems in workplace cultures that had them end up in my office. Um, several years ago, I decided uh, to transition out of the practice of law to become a full-time entrepreneur as a professional speaker. And one of the reasons is I wanted to be able to use what I had learned in those two decades. And I, I'm also an arbitrator and a mediator. So I've been in the space of conflict in the workplace for over for over two decades. And what I realize a lot is it's not even like we think sometimes it's like these major things that pull people right and, and have you in lawsuits. And it's not. Sometimes it's just people not speaking to each other or people saying the wrong thing or saying the right thing, but the wrong way. And so that really propelled me to think about how can I um, help? you know, my clients and people who are like my clients, companies who are like my clients, not, you know, end up in courtrooms. So I always say like keeping them out of courtrooms and newsrooms. And so just really leveraging all of that expertise, that legal background and the way that I think and the way that I filter information and also understanding humans um, and how humans behave in those spaces and just helping to create workplace cultures where every person, every voice matters, that it's inclusive, that it's safe, that it's accountable, and that it's conversational. Fantastic. I think that's as good of an introduction as anybody can give. That's amazing. You've, you've been through quite a lot, right, in terms of, firstly, law in itself is such a difficult field to not just get into, but also maintain a career in. And it's one of the most diverse fields that there is because not only do you need excessive academic knowledge, but you need to have the soft skills to complement that as well. When it mm -hmm. comes to your, not just your experience in law, 
but in terms of mediating arguments and conflicts. If you were to step outside the courtroom and just talk about day-to-day conflicts that happen in, let's say, uh, an IT company, for example. Yeah. <laughs> as a leader or as a manager who's managing, let's say, about a team of 15 to 20 people, not too big, not too small, what are some things that a manager should keep in their mind to ensure that before a conflict really arises, they are making sure the culture is set in a manner that not necessarily avoids conflicts, but if they do occur, they can be solved or resolved quite quickly. What should a manager keep in their minds? Well, first, I think, you know, and you hear this term a lot lately, is this whole um, concept of psychological safety. People want to feel safe. So the reason that people don't have conversations, the reason that people get into, you know, fights is that they feel in some way that their safety is being impacted. And so creating a safe environment. So what does a safe environment look like? Well, it's a space where people know that if they say something, they're not going to be retaliated against. They're not going to be on the hit list. They're not all of a sudden, you know, your perf- your performance was perfect. And then all of a sudden now, like you're being written up for everything. It's a place where, you know, if there's something happening, if you have something to contribute, if you have something to say, if you feel like you don't want to say anything, that's okay too, right? A place where you just know that you're going to be heard, you're going to be valued, your silence is okay. You, your ability, your, you know, your desire to speak out is okay. And so we have to create those types of environments where there's an open space and a, a place for open dialogue. And I love that you said, right, not really trying to avoid conflict because conflict is part of life. It's going to happen. But conflict doesn't have to turn into something that destroys relationships, that destroys morale, that destroys, you know, people's self-esteem. Conflict can be healthy because conflict is when you think about conflict, what is conflict? It is you think one way, I think one way. Well, that's great because we're individuals and we have the ability, um, you know, to 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 think differently and we should think differently. So the, the thing about conflict is understanding how do we then, OK, you have an opinion or a point of view. I have an opinion or point of view. How do we come together to share that, to come to some type of agreement? The agreement may be we agree to disagree. Right. Or the agreement may be like, hmm, I didn't think about it that way. I'm glad that you shared that with me. Oh, now I have a different perspective. So conflict isn't bad. It's how you manage conflict. That's that's fantastic. I, I know you said psychological safety is thrown around a, a lot, but I feel very few people, I feel many people just say it to sound smart to a large degree. Many people actually know what the meaning of it is because it's something that it sounds great, but it's something that's very difficult to implement when it actually comes yeah. down to. So yeah. when it creating psychological safety again with regard to someone who's let's say if you're working in a large corporate now there is of course a thing called micro cultures like if you're managing a team of yes you can create your own culture within that space regardless to some degree of the company culture so if i am in such a position i do have the intent to create psychological safety now how do i as a leader or manager go about communicating that so that even my team members know that they are in a safe place. Do I just go and tell everyone individually about it? Or are there some subtle actions I can take to prove this? Yeah. Well, I think 
our actions will always betray our words, right? <laughs> and so we have to not only do it by word, but indeed. And so, especially if you're a new manager or if you have two new team members coming in, like have a conversation, like talk to people. I think one of the things that we we do is we assume that everybody wants to be communicated with in the same way. And so, you know, having a conversation about what you want the culture to be. For example, you said there's a microculture. So what is the culture of this team? What is the culture of this department? Talk about from your own as a manager, from your own perspective, what would you like to see? How would you like the environment to operate? How would you like people to operate within the environment, but also get feedback from people, right? So, um, some people, they want to be celebrated and they want to be celebrated out loud. Some people, that will be the like the kiss of death if you do that, right? Some people, um, they want to be corrected in the moment. If something happens, they want you to tell them right then. Other people, no, they want you to pull them aside. So have a conversation. You can have individual conversations. Get to know your team members. The thing that happens is that we work with people and we don't even really know who they are. We don't know, you know, how they like to communicate. They don't we don't know how they like information to be transmitted to to them. We don't know how they like to be, you know, rewarded. We don't know how they they like to be, you know, told that they need to work on something or they need to improve their performance. And so if we don't have those conversations and we're operating in a vacuum or we're operating from what we want then it makes it very difficult to create these cultures of safety, right? And now, depending on how many people, everybody's not going to be happy, (laughs) right? And it might not be like a whole, you know, utopia or whatever. However, if you have open lines of communication, then when you're you're thinking about, okay, we have macro cultures in our organizations and then we have these micro cultures. And while you might be the leader in title, If you're not careful, what's going to happen is that there's going to be informal leaders. And so they they could be at odds with what you're trying to do in the organization. So you want it to be one way and safety looks one way to you. But the people who are in the team or in that department have decided that this other person is the leader and they've created a culture and they've created whatever, you know, how things are going to run around here. I call it the streets right? How things are going to run in the streets. And now you're at odds. So it's really important to understand who is in your organization, who's in your in your teams, and just have conversations with people and get to know them at a human level, as opposed to your, you know, whatever their title is or their job task is. That's, that's so true, right? And one of the questions that we get asked often from, from our students is that how and this is not just from managers, but anyone working in a corporate or any even a startup for that matter, in any professional capacity. Where do you draw the line between being someone's friend and being a colleague? Should we cross over and should we make sure everyone is our friend? Everyone as in for the large part whoever we get along with. Mm-hmm. Should we? How do we maintain certain boundaries? Do we need to maintain those boundaries? How do we draw the line in our minds with regard to how, as you said, get to know them on a human level? Uh, where do we draw the line in terms of getting too personal and maintaining the professionalism? So when a hard conversation comes up, if someone is our actual friend, it's going to be infinitely harder to have that. <laughs> so how do we draw that line in particular? Whether you're a manager or, a, or an ex or a subordinate. 
Yeah, I think, well, I think you definitely have to draw lines, but I also have, we have to also be realistic that we're human beings, that we spend a lot of time together, that we're going to be friends. Right. So, you know, I worked in law firms. I was a partner in law firms and I was friends with, you know, people who worked under me, um, associates and, and my assistants. We were friends. But what they also what you also have to be able to do, though, is to establish that there is still this level of authority when it comes to work. Right. That there are things that I'm going to have to talk to you about that may not be you know, the best. <laughs> um, you may not be happy about it. Um, if somebody's a true friend, then they should understand. But I get that people, you know, get in their feelings and then it's like, well, you're supposed to be my friend. Yes. However, here <laughs> in this space, what I am first is your, you know, supervisor, your manager or your leader or your team lead. Right. And so there are boundaries that have to be set. And those come from you understanding your oh, Understanding how you want to lead. Oftentimes what we want to do is manage people, but we lead people and manage processes, right? And so when you lead people, you lead by example. And so if you lead by example, because again, your actions betray your words, so people are watching what you're doing, then they'll understand. They won't be trying to cross the boundaries. The reason we have to always be consciously you know, thinking about boundaries or we get afraid like, oh, I can't be this person's friend is one, you don't have boundaries. You haven't set any proper boundaries. And two, you're not leading by the example of what it is that you want the people who you're leading to follow. Right. So if I'm lax about things, if I'm disrespectful, if, you know, I say there is a deadline and I'm lax about the deadline and I never meet the deadline, but now I want to hold you to that standard then there's a problem, right? So you have to actually, you have to model the behavior that you want and then you won't have necessarily, there's always going to be a problem, right? There's Somebody's always going to be a problem. <laughs> let's, just, let's just keep it real about that. Somebody's always going to be a problem. But for the most part, what you'll have is a team that is like, no, that's not how we operate. And they will help you. So you don't always have to be the person because now you have these people who they will help you to corral anyone um, that is, you know, outside of, of what the culture is that you all have created. I I truly do believe that culture comes down to communication. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, as you mentioned, that you have to have talks with people, whether it's individually or together. And this aspect you're mentioning about that there will be difficult people, that is infinitely true. Now, when it comes to those difficult people in particular, Let's say, and this is something that I have gone through in my team as well, I frantically speaking. So I'm curious to know about this from you that let's say if there's a person, let's call that person, uh, person A. And if person B is their manager, now person B has told person A that, hey, you know, you need to get these tasks done because that's part of your job. Okay. In, in loose terms, I'm just talking. Right. They say, sure, I'm going to get it done. It's part of my job. Let's go. Deadline is set for five days from now. They don't meet it. We're going to with them and ask them, hey, what, what went wrong? You know, we set the deadline. Did something happen? Come in your way. I'm here to help you. They say, oh, no, you know, I just found it too hectic, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Set a new deadline. They missed that, that, that deadline as well. We set a third deadline. They missed that one as well. Now, at this point in time, when we've had those diplomatic conversations with them to try and understand, hey, 
what's going wrong. If you can't meet something, please inform us beforehand and set all those lines in place. But they're still not doing it. Does it just come down to, hey, maybe you're not the good, you're not a good fit, or is there a way to communicate to that person that can potentially make the situation a little better? I know you're very vague and broad. No, no, that's okay. I get it. <laughs> no, that's a great question. So sometimes the short answer is yes, they have to go, right? At at some point, they have to go. Second, you have to look at, is this a pattern of your behavior that they know that, oh, yeah, Kelly said that that's the deadline, but even if I don't make it, she'll just set another one. I'll make that one. She'll set another one. Right. So is that a pattern of behavior that they've seen? So it's like, yeah, I'll get to it when I get to it. Right. So that could be causing them. They're just following your lead. Right. They're just following your lead. Um, so you have to look at whether or not your behavior. Right. And the way that you're leading people has caused them to be like, yeah, that's a that's a movable deadline. That's not a real deadline. Um, the other thing, too, is if if this is happening, like if you're not that person and you're having to move it, then if you have to move it the first time, then the thing to have there is a conversation, like a real hard conversation to understand, did they understand what it is that you're trying to get them to do and be responsible and hold them accountable for why they didn't do it and then say, it has to be done here or this is going to be the decision, right? This is what's going to happen here. But in those conversations, it's really important to understand, okay, I'm going to have this conversation. So I gave Kelly a deadline. She was supposed to improve or do a task by such and such. She didn't do it. I need to have a conversation with her. Okay. Why am I having this conversation? Am I having this conversation? So what is the intention of the conversation? I'm having this conversation because I'm mad at Kelly, right? I want to put her in her place. I want to shake her up. I want to really find out what happened because maybe this is not like her, right? Or, yeah, this is par for the course, right? So what is the intention? Because what that will do is help me to understand, do I have any biases? Is there anything that is coming up for me? then maybe right now is not the time to have the conversation or maybe I'm not the person to have the conversation. So what is the purpose? And if I say, okay, great, I understand the purpose. I understand why I'm going to have this conversation. Then what do I want to get out of this conversation? How do I want this conversation to end? How do I want to feel? How do I want Kelly to feel when we finish this conversation? Right. And what is it that I want to get done Right. Is it that I want the work to get done? I want the task to be completed. Do I want to change some type of behavior? Like, hey, Kelly, if you couldn't finish it or if you're having a problem, I need you to say beforehand. I don't I, I, I don't want you to wait until what is it that we want to accomplish? Those two things, understanding those two things will allow you. To, I call them the bookends of a conversation. They'll allow you to direct the tone and tenor of the conversation because now I know, OK, if this is what I why I'm doing it, this is what I hope to get out of it. Well, how do I get to that journey? Like, what is the thing that's going to take me from A to B? Right. So you have to think about that. And then that's how you have the conversation. And Kelly could be doing it, right? And John could be doing it over here, the same thing, but we can't necessarily have the same conversation, right? Because they're two different people. And the intention, the purpose, the objective around it might be different. And so it takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of skill. 
it takes a lot of observational skills. It takes um, understanding that it's a dialogue and not a debate. It takes being focused. Uh, it takes doing research, right, and really paying attention. So it does take a lot of work to be able to do it. But if you really start to think about individuals as individuals and treat them that way and treat situations as individual situations, it'll really um, make things better. You know, I can keep asking you question after question on work culture. Because this is this just when I was preparing questions for this as well, uh, this is like a never ending topic, right? I and yeah. I I address a lot of things from a manager's perspective. There's an entire completely different side, which is from the subordinate's perspective as well, and then from the CEO's perspective, and then from the outsider's perspective, and so on and so forth. But I, I do want to completely go left field and talk to you about one other topic, because I know you have uh, a great amount of expertise in that space as well. So putting culture aside for a moment, I want to talk to you about speaking careers or building careers as a speaker. And for anybody who has been in a particular niche for some amount of time, they've built certain experiences, they have a certain amount of qualification over there. How do they go about creating speaking as a side income or even their main source of income? What are some quick tips you can share on that front? I know a short answer cannot do it justice. <laughs> I'll give you a short answer. Okay. So one, um, understand what the topic is, right? So what is it that you want to speak about? Um, who do you want to speak about, speak to about it? So what is the impact that you want to create in the world? So some of us have very deep expertise in some area. That might not be the thing that moves us, though. So what is the why around why you want to have the, this conversation? Why do you want to impact these type of people, right? These people's lives. And do you want to do it just for fun, right? You want to be out there speaking as a hobby or do you want to do it as a business? Because those are two totally different um, tracks. But speaking is fun. Speaking can be very lucrative. Um, speaking is a way for you to exhibit your thought leadership. So many of us, you know, have been doing things for so long. And speaking is not just relegated to people who have degrees, right, and have all the initials after their names. Your personal experience can also be, you know, a great teacher for people. So it's really understanding the journey that you want to take people on and finding someone who can help you to really package that message and help you understand. Because sometimes we just speak, which we're just giving information, we're just throwing information at people or regurgitating information. But through when you were thinking about like true thought leadership, that comes with understanding like not just the content, but the context of the content, how you create connections, developing frameworks that you know that work time after time after time that help people to, you know, create the change that they're trying to create. So there's lots of work. It's not as easy as people think if you want to do it well. Um, but it's it's a great it's a great profession. And what about when, when it comes to understanding how to go about marketing yourself? So if I've never done a speaking before, but I do know my purpose, I do know who I want to help and everything. Is it about, do I have to go and build up my brand on Instagram, for example? Do I, do I have to create a website? Uh, do I have to cold outreach to people on LinkedIn? What can I do to start getting those initial conversations going to get a gig? All of it. <laughs> 
Well, first things first, you do have to have a brand, right? Um, branding is really important. People don't think that, but as a speaker, branding is um, very, very important. And then what you need to do with you, you use your brand, you use your expertise to elevate your authority. So people, you know, often people say, oh, I'm a speaker. But if I Google you, if I go tr look on LinkedIn, if I go, you know, if I Google your name, I see nothing about you speaking. I see nothing around you being able to communicate to other people what you're trying to say for me to tell me that you want to communicate to my audience and have me pay you for. So part of it is building your authority, right? So that when when I say, yeah, I speak about conversational cultures or I speak about professional speaking, if you go Google me somewhere, you'll find all that, right? It's out there. So um People are always asking about, like, how do I get on stage? How do I get paid to speak? But the the thing is that you can get on stages anytime, anywhere. There's stages open every day for you to get on. It's getting on the right stages. And so in order for you to know what the right stages are, you have to do a lot of homework in the background because sometimes we're marketing but we're marketing the wrong thing. We're marketing in the wrong way. We're marketing to the wrong people. And we're wondering, well, why can't, why aren't people hiring me? Why aren't people, because that those aren't your people, <laughs> right? So you have to understand all of that. There's a lot of uh, legwork and, and back-end work that has to be done to position you, yourself powerfully to be able to um, get those stages. Fantastic. I think that's perfect. It's quite practical as well for anyone to apply who might be interested in pursuing speaking. And just know one thing, whoever's listening to this, that it takes time. Basically, mm -hmm. not as easy as... And as, work. <laughs> work. Yeah. So it's not as easy as it might look that, oh, you get you get a gig and then you just get $5,000 for it. There's, there's a lot more than goes behind to get that one hour speaking slot. That's right. That's right. You know, people people see people on stage and they're like, oh, I want to be on stage. But most of the time, what we're doing as speakers is not on stage. That's like a very small part of what we're doing. It's just like any other business. You got to market, right? You have to advertise. People have to know who you are. They have to be comfortable with the product, right? And then you have to build relationships. So there's a lot of, of back leg work and work. It's actually work that needs to be done before you get on stage to deliver, um, as talent. So there's lots of CEO and other kinds of work that has to be done before you as talent show up on a stage. That's perfect. Fantastic. My final question for you is something we ask all guests. Since we are a communications training company, we want to ask you that basis your experience, what is one communication skill that you would prioritize over every other skill, which you would wish that everyone would be better at or everyone would focus on a little more? Anyone skill. I know that but anyone. Listening. <laughs> and listening, I, I listening for for um comprehension and understanding as opposed to listening to respond. Correct. Active listening, yeah. That's mm -hmm. true. Fantastic. Perfect, Kelly. That's all the questions I have for you, although I do more questions, but I'm gonna call it an end over here. Is there anything you would like to talk about? Anything you would like people to know? Where can we find you? Where can we get to know more about you? The floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So you can find me um, at Kelly Charles Collins on social media. So connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, if you're interested in me as a speaker, you can go to kellycharlescollins.com and then you can find all everything about me there. But yeah, follow me on social media and uh, I'd be happy to chat with you and connect with you. 
fantastic we're going to be putting kelly's social media links in the description below as well so please do connect with her follow her and i hope you enjoyed this conversation and you learned as much as i did with regard to work culture and becoming a speaker kelly thank you so much for joining us i hope we can do a part 2 of this i'll see you next time all right see you later Thank you so much for being with us to the end. If you found this useful, do share it with someone who might benefit from it. And if you're looking for more communication and soft skill tips, follow us on Instagram, Facebook or YouTube. Lastly, if you would like a step-by-step process to improve upon your communication skills to accelerate your career growth, you can go on our website and book a free communication consultation call with me. Thank you for joining us and I'll see you next time. Thank you.